Hello listeners, it's Hayley and Karen and welcome to um, another podcast of The Meeting Room, which is a safe space where we discuss and work through the hard conversation of racism. Um, this evening we are so privileged to have two of the ladies who um, have been willing to journey with us on this crazy ride, um, Karen Stodel, you want to say hi to the listeners, Karen? Hello. <laughs> and Sinead Southgate. Hi everyone. So Karen, would you like to get going? Right, ladies, as Haley said, we are very excited and a little nervous. I think we're all a little nervous, but there's no reason to be. Um, okay, so our very first question is, um, Karen, we're going to start with you. We want to know something about yourself and um, how growing up in South Africa has shaped you. Okay, um, yes, I'm Karen. I... Um, I'm a white woman in my early 50s. Um, I was at high school in the early 80s and then at UCT um, towards the end of the 80s. Mm. And how it impacted me, I, I led a really sheltered life. A really sheltered life. I think in spite of having one parent who was from Europe and therefore supposedly open-minded I think that was philosophical rather than practical mm. um, and the more I journey through this meeting room I realized that yeah. that it was philosophical and not practical mm. but and although philosophical aspects are important it's the practical it's the implementation yeah. mm. so yeah oh, I'm, a, that's very I'm a Christ believer and I am and a mom of two and a mom of two that's mm. me Thank you, Karen. Thanks, Karen. Sinead. Oh, so, Sinead, I'm, I'm a mom of three, also a Christ believer. Um, so I grew up on the Cape Flats. Um, I also, I was also sheltered. <laughs> I think sheltered from, from apartheid in a sense, growing up in a very coloured community where I wasn't exposed to much outside of that community. Um, I grew up with my grandparents, um, and then later on, I live with my with my parents. I um, yeah, I the one one of the things that I focused on as a child, not knowing, as I said, I was very sheltered, but not knowing what's happening out there. I, I really focused on on my education because I always felt that there was more inside of me that I could be more. Mm. Um, and so, despite our circumstances that we found ourselves in. Um, even the poverty aspect I didn't really see because it was normal. When you're in a community and you kind of all don't have, you don't think you're poor, it's just mm. that, that's normal. Mm. Um, so that's basically how I dropped, but I focused on, on my education so that I could basically be more, not knowing what more is, because the only role model to, well, that I had, my aunts, and, and they were either nurses or factory workers or unemployed. So that is kind of, you know, those are your, your role models. And I was... I wanted more, not yeah. knowing what the more was. Yeah. So, yeah, that is, yeah, that's basically um, me in a nutshell. How has how has South Africa shaped me? Well, it's made me resilient. Um, mm. I faced lots of challenges growing up, too many to mention. Um, but through all of that, I persevered, and I do feel that through the grace of God. But I, I persevered and I pushed through. Um, and when I look back now, I didn't just do that for me, but for 
for my children and for, for other people of color to know that, you know, despite our circumstances, despite what we've been through, there is hope. And it's not an easy journey um, because, I mean, you just you face so many different things, including, um, you know, the effects of, of apartheid. But there is hope and that you can make it or get out of, of um, yeah, just living in poverty and feeling that there's, there's no hope that where you are is where you're going to stay. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so it's basically made me resilient. It's made me a fighter. Like, mm -hmm. I'm a fighter in every sense of the word. Mm -hmm. um, and not just for, for myself, but for um, just people. Creating space at the table. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I would just say something that's interesting, um, listeners, is that the gener there's a generational, uh -huh. we're in two we Two different generations. Yeah. So, um, Karen, your schooling was roughly what years? Well, high school, I was in the early 80s. Early 80s. Shanae? High school was in the 90s. So, Karen so would have been sort of, while apartheid was still happening, and Shanae, you would have been almost into when we were in democracy. Mm -hmm. So, yes, it's amazing how that shapes it. The other thing that is interesting, listeners, is that both of these ladies are accountants. Um, yes. well, so I'm not an accountant. Well, both of them I, are in I'm finance. Auditing, yes. yeah, both <laughs> of them are in finance, um, sure. and which is also interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, Shanae, I'd like you to um, talk a little bit. You said you grew up on the Cape Flats. Can you describe um, what you mean by that? Because we may have people who um, are not from South Africa, so we assume that we know what, what you're talking about. Can you just explain a little bit about that? So the Cape Flats is one of the areas that people of colour were kind of moved into um, during apartheid. So mm -hmm. one of our, what do we call it? Our Forced removals. Yeah. 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 So my, my grandparents actually, who I, who I grew up with, they actually lived in... Balville, and then they were forcefully removed and put into Grossy Park. So I lived in Grossy Park on the Cape Flats. Um, yeah, so it's basically Cape Flats, Mich well, Cape Flats is made up of Mitchell's Plain, Grossy Park, Lavendale, and Noble Park. So all of those, you know, so that was me. I went to school on the Cape Flats as well. Um, does, that, does that answer yeah, your yeah. question? And I think my follow on question is so you mentioned your grandparents were forcibly removed. So, um, and you grew, is that the grandparents that you grew up with? Yes. So, did they used to speak about that no, much? Not at all. Okay. And do you know why that? Like, can, can you I unpack that a bit? If, if I think of my, my parents uh, well, and my grandparents, we never spoke, they never spoke about anything really. Yeah. I think they suppressed. Every, like, yeah. yeah, we just had to. I think it was a means to kind of just get by, yeah. and we, a means to survive. Yeah. Yeah. So we basically just had to, or they just moved on. They kept on doing what they needed to do to survive, and they wouldn't speak about the past or how they were affected by it, or even about the part they like what was happening yeah. out there. Like they just wouldn't speak sure. about it. So I want to ask, um, Karen made a very interesting point when she introduced herself. You said your dad, your dad is from Holland. Yes. And you said you grew up with a very, fairly liberal, open-minded. Um, what was that like? Like, how would you describe, in what ways was it more open-minded and liberal? So, <coughs> I remember my dad once saying, reading an article saying, can you believe it that this year... And my numbers are wrong, but the principle was the same. That five people were reclassified from black to coloured, mm. and twenty people were reclassified yeah. from white to coloured, mm. or mm. from coloured to. And it's like, how preposterous is that? Mm. Why, why do we need to do that? Mm. And mm. so it was those sorts of conversations. And when there was 
a march for opening up um, the group areas and mm. you know we marched okay. so sure. so so we were involved as i say there were these discussions mm. um and that we were all equal that mm. there was no reason why mm. you know why one was less worthwhile than another yeah. um but yeah mm. so yes we marched but it didn't impact our lives mm. in terms of maybe giving more or helping more mm. um so yeah i mean we, yeah. we had help in the house um but i wouldn't say that i mean my parents did help them a bit but not mm. to the extent that you know if I look now yeah. that it would have been a restorative yeah. assistance yeah. I find it interesting because you probably leaps ahead of other white families. Yeah. At least you were having the conversations. And yeah, ironically, so we just, in my home, we discussed it a bit, but not to the point where I would be encouraged to take part in yeah. a march or something. Yeah. Um, and my grandparents would have probably spoken about it even less. So it's, it's the, the, the dichotomy. It's yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I also thought that with Corin, at yeah. least you were having the conversation because for most white people of your and my age and that was not uh, the conversation that was around the dinner table I think silence I think because my dad was from Amsterdam Um, which is quite a liberal minded city mm -hmm. and country Mm. um, those conversations happened so um, reflecting on the journey um, that you've had with the meeting room and the discussions that we've had um, it would be great for the listeners, so it's not coming from Karen and I, but just for them to hear what are your experience has been. And because we know this is hard work, where you're making yourself vulnerable, mm. having hard conversations, listening to hard things, um, how do you think you've benefited from this work? And anyone could take Shanae, Karen, whoever feels like going first. So for me, the meeting room has opened up my eyes and increased my knowledge of apartheid. As much as I mm. knew Sure. Things about it have increased. My knowledge has increased, and it's also also the legacy that it leaves behind. Like I look at things differently. Um, I mean, I don't want to go into the book just yet, but I mean the way I looked at people of color, or um, or I'll stick with people of colored people, where I think where people will just go and um, just something we spoke about last week, where they'll buy clothes and and shoes but they barely have money for the rest of the month and I would I would criticize them I just didn't understand why and so I'm not going to go into the why but the book has really or being part of the meeting room and reading the book that we'll speak about later has really opened up my eyes to the why and to make me understand the choices of people of color differently um so yeah so even though um my family was directly affected by apartheid. As mentioned, it was never something that we spoke about. Um, my family would never point a finger at white people, um, you know, for being oppressed or for being forcefully removed. Like, they never, ever mentioned it. Um, they got on with their lives and they just accepted that this was it. It wasn't... I mean, we never, ever... I think that I hardly ever saw white people either, but there was a, just a nun that would come in. That's only... But, I mean, they would never, ever speak negatively or ill about any, you know, about the white race. And, um, yeah, so they bury their hurts um, because I suppose it was easier to deal with. And um, I think it resulted in much psychological damage. And I say that because 
there's so many things like with my grandfather and the way he raised our children and then the children and then my uncles would have um, been through the whole, you know, we experienced apartheid. We would say my grandparents are good people, but they, there's lots of damage and which led to them abusing alcohol and just all those things that, yeah, I think the, the psychological damage really played a big part. And I mean, I didn't, I didn't experience um, not being able to go to a beach or any any of those things, but I can only imagine the um, how it affected our family to be told that you know this is where you need to go. Sleeps blank. This still yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I, yeah. So um, and then yeah, being part of the meeting room has allowed me to speak openly about the hurts that I feel now. So when I look back and I see the effects of apartheid even now on on my family and those around me. Um, just being part of me, it helps me because we, we get to speak about it openly without holding back. I think that's the biggest part. Like, we, I'm always afraid. I don't want to offend. I don't want to offend white, black or colored. So having these conversations, I feel like I'm not afraid to speak because I'm not, I don't mean to offend, but I'm still, I can still say what I need to say. And I know that it won't be taken in the, in the wrong way. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and to be able to speak to women who are majority white and um and women who are willing to admit the wrongs of the past mm -hmm. i think that's the biggest one for me we there's not a just move on you know we just forget about the past and move on um the women in the meeting room are willing to acknowledge the past and they're willing to do the work they're willing to admit that they benefited from the past and it's not just you know but we worked hard mm -hmm. um you know so that really i think that's one of the the biggest benefits and also having white allies mm -hmm. um yeah, just people who are, are willing to, to join hands and do the work together and, and to see other um, and to build relationships. Because I think that's the, the best part is that we're all getting to see each other differently and to build relationships with each other um, and, and breaking the divide. I think there's, there's definitely so much more that we can do, but this is a start mm. and, and I think that's great. Sure. From my perspective, I mean, it's really interesting hearing what Sinead said because um, in some respects I exactly mirror the opposite mm. um, and in other respects exactly the same. So <clears throat> for me, um, I work in an environment which is very coloured. Mm. So I've got a lot of relationships with coloured people but not necessarily... The meeting room is more intimate in mm. terms of explanations and, and discussions. So in your normal everyday working life, or my normal everyday working life, you don't go to that level. Mm. So I have, um, and I say enjoyed, in inverted commas, mm. the meeting room, because um, I've heard people's hearts mm. more. Um, I've heard the pain, you know, where you may read about it, but when mm. you see it on somebody's face, when you hear the words from somebody that you've got a relationship with, it's, it's that much more powerful. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so I've enjoyed and, yeah, I've appreciated, is maybe a better, I've appreciated hearing that and, and then realizing that me, whether it's individually, it is individually and corporately, mm that I have been part of that, mm. you know, that has caused that hurt and caused that pain. And um, I think through the meeting room and the discussions, um, 
being in a place to say, yes, I have benefited mm. from the history of South Africa. Um, one of the things, and it's, uh, it seems like quite a hectic thing to say when we talk about corruption, mm. you know, there's corruption today, but there was corruption mm. in apartheid, mm. and I am a benefactor sure. Sure. of that corruption. Sure. And it may not be the viewed in corruptions the, the light of corruption today, where it may be going to single people, mm, yeah. it was that mm. corruption of apartheid yeah. days was going to a broader mm. group of people. Yeah. And I'm one of those benefactors. And so I think being mm. in the meeting room and, and actually through those discussions, realizing it, going, coming from the back of my mind to the front of my mind, mm. and actually mm. then expressing it. Mm. Um, Mm. Having the ability in the safe space to to mm. realize it and and accept it. Mm. Sure. Yeah. Oh. And, and it's <laughs> and it's um, the funny thing what you ladies have encapsulated and which Karen and I couldn't have imagined or or actually found words for when we started the meeting room. We heard in an Andy Stanley sermon where he mm. said, "You listen." You learn yeah. and you love. Yeah. Yeah. And we thought that's kind of been the process. Completely. We've listened to the other. And when you're listening and you're learning and you expect to learn something, yeah. you're really seeing the person. So now for the first time, you can actually truly love that yes. person because you're seeing them in all their, yeah. their, their, their fullness. Yeah. You're seeing the whole person. So, yeah, I think listen, sure. learn, love. And you see how we, we're not that different. Like, I don't know, like no. in, yeah. in some ways, I think there was this, Black person, colored person, we be different, but mm. we're not that different mm. at all. I just think it's the mm. the mindset and the things that we've been fed mm. over time that people think, you know. Yeah, we've been told that we are different, and mm. yet when you develop the relationship, yeah, and and that's another thing that the meeting room has taught me um, is that, or, or maybe, maybe taught is the wrong word, but raised mm. the awareness is that. We can't paint a whole group of people with one brush mm. and say you're all the same. Mm. Um, that we need to see the individual. Mm. And when you look at the individual, mm. you see the heart, you see the needs, the desires, the hurts, mm. the pains, the joys, which is not... When you only look at a mass, you don't see mm. those mm. individual characteristics. Mm. Sure. And so the meeting room has enabled us to do that, or it has enabled me to do that. Yeah. Sure. So one of the beautiful things about this podcast is we don't get to hear that in the meeting room because we're busy doing the work and we're reading this book and we're having quite hectic discussions. So just sitting here and hearing your two stories is, for me, extremely humbling. Actually, I had a little weep about it, I'm sorry to say. Um, and one of the things I think, ladies, is that it's um, we found our commonality, our humanity, yeah. and apartheid purposed us not to... Find one another. Yeah. And it's like, I always want to say, and this is a bit rude, but like I want to just give the middle finger to apartheid and say, <laughs> we are redoing this and we are creating another narrative, Sinead, that's unlearning, been unlearning Hayden, yeah. that which we have been uh, so conditioned and accepted. And so I love, I'm just loving this podcast. All right, so um, for those who are not in, in the meeting room, we're just going to um, chat a little bit about the book. We decide, we've done lots of things, Haley and I, and um, we've landed on doing a book together for this year. And I won't lie to you, we're going very slowly through this book. 
Um, the book that we have chosen to do is called Another Country, Everyday Social Restitution, and it's by Charlene Swartz. And it's a book that is obviously about South Africa, for South Africans, um, and it's a book that is uh, seeped in um, statistics. That might sound extremely boring, but the statistics are bought brought alive in the um, interviews that Charlene has with with m many South Africans of different ages um, and from different places. Um, and she interviews people and um, has reflected those interviews in this extremely um, wonderful book. Um, although, as Karen said, it is a hard book um, to read. But I would, and I'm sure, I'm sure others would say that it is a book that I think every South African should read. Um, and so we're just going to talk a little bit about, so we're only um, on chapter three, everyone, that's how slow we are. Um, but nonetheless, we're going to just talk a little bit about um, another country and how this book has impacted um, Sinead and Karen. So we've read chapters one, two, and three. Um, and so just if we go back and re we reflect a little bit about on these chapters, how has this book uh, changed some of those narratives, mm -hmm. some of those perceptions that we have? Um, yeah, either of you. Um, so firstly, it is, the book has definitely changed my ideas and, and perspectives. Mm -hmm. um, the best part about the book is that it's based on, on stats and facts, which mm -hmm. cannot be argued. I think that's totally yeah, amazing yeah. the way the, the book yeah. was written. Um, and it captures the voices of all races. Yeah. Um, and it also gives some insight into the complexities and nuances of South Africa's history of slavery, colonialism and apartheid, as well as our transition to democracy in 1994. It doesn't address all the issues of um, inequality and racial segregation, hate speech and, and the desire to just move on, but it forces us to think about our past and how it affects the present. I think that's the biggest part, mm. that it constantly takes us back and makes us think about, you know, how it affects us today, who has benefited from the past and who has been hurt. It also makes us question what should be done about the past, about unearned benefits and undeserved pain. Mm. It questions whether we've done enough and we should be doing more, mm. as well as what will happen if we do nothing. And, and so I actually, that is taken directly from the book. A lot of those questions, a lot of what I've just... I've just um, said it's and I think for me it, it taking me back it's it's hard it's so hard to read this book and I think it's hard for all of us all all races but it's so real and I think one of the key reflections for me and I think this is what the book is all about is that we can't have reconciliation without restitution no. um, and I mean restitution is about giving back how that looks I don't know but I mean that just stood out for me so much um, I mean for three for three centuries the country invested in whites. It gave its best. It's everything. Mm -hmm. And yet, post-apartheid, there was no plan to give back or to, to have any form of restitution. So mm -hmm. people had to just carry on. And I think this book just highlights all of that. Mm -hmm. And through the interviews with people, it, it just gives a picture of, of where we are at today and how people, how, they, how their mindsets are still geared towards, you know, or some people, we need to just move on. It's 20-odd years into... Apartheid, um, but it, yeah, it also highlights how we can't because yeah, it's just not going to happen. And then just um, in terms of a, a, well, a, uh, another key reflection or something that really stood out for me is that 
There's so many people who speak about our current government. You mentioned the corruption, mm-hmm. Karen. Um, and be so focused on the corruption that's currently happening. Um, and we forget that apartheid in itself was corrupt. Mm-hmm. I mean, one thing in the book that was mentioned that I didn't know is that just before um, we had before the elections, mm-hmm. the white government transferred public land into private hands. Mm-hmm. And that for me, like it was hard reading yeah. that because... You know, that was a means of keeping the wealth yeah. within the white person's hands. Yeah. There yeah. was no way for a person of color or a black person to win. It's like that we were set up from the start mm. for failure. And even doing that, you know, so mm. how was that saying we want to have yeah. this democratic, democratic country when the government blatantly went and took land and gave it to white people? That was corrupt. And yet we look at the corruption today and be so quick to, to point fingers. And it speaks about the media. Back then, mm. we weren't as free to go and share or to mm. just, we can go onto Facebook and type. We can, you know, I'm sure the media companies were owned by white men. So you couldn't, a person of color, black person couldn't go and say, we know this and just go and put it out there. Surely there would be, you know, there would be, be big consequences. And so all of those things were kind of just, Mm. swept under the rug yet today it's in your face and so it's such a big thing but we so easy forget mm-hmm. um, and, the, and another thing that stood out for me is what did the black government actually do mm. there are RDP houses yeah. we never had that back then there, these people have water and electricity yeah. Yeah. she quotes the stats in it yeah, she has yeah. all of that yeah. it's quoted in that yeah. book and it's things that Children are I in didn't school. think of because I was also one of them to look mm. at the government yeah. and just get so frustrated with the corruption yet we are so much mm. better off, mm. even though people, I, I read posts and people think we're, better, we're not better off, you know, we're better off with the white government, but we have so much more. Mm. I wouldn't have been able to study mm. if there was, NISFAS didn't exist back then, there was no financial aid. So there is so much more yeah. and it, it, that gives me hope and people need to, I think we need to stop focusing on, yes, there's corruption, yeah. but we also need to look at what has been done since then yeah. and this book highlights those things, yeah. which is absolutely amazing. I, I like what Sinead mentioned about corruption, because Karen and I were talking about that corruption does not have a colour. Yeah. No. If it, corruption and politics go hand in hand, yeah. exactly. irrespective yeah. exactly. of, of who yeah. it is. It's about power, isn't it? And actually, I've read somewhere um, that some people believe the only only reason the what the Nats government gave in and and yeah. all was because of the economic sanctions yeah, that course. were being put on by the rest of the yeah, world. Of so it wasn't even a kumbaya no, we wanting to reconcile. It was actually an economic decision. They were forced rather than they were forced. forced. They were forced. Yeah. I was actually yeah. so my kids yeah. like we were chatting about youth day. They went in like my even my five year old mommy tell me more. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so we were chatting about these things and um, my daughter, what started with my daughter speaking about history and the Europeans and how they traveled, and she said, Mom, history is so boring. And I said, But you know, if you just understand it more, and it's, it's up to us to actually unpack and to give them a bit more because our history textbooks tell a little bit of the story, but we can give them so much more. It makes it interesting, but obviously, how we tell them and how. But um, so we spoke about um, the, the elections and what actually happened back then. I mean, yeah. our country firstly was in debt back then. Yeah. And and then the sanctions. So there was the white government never had a choice. Mm. Yeah. We would have basically been running this country yeah. into you yeah. know. Well, they did nearly. They were left yeah. almost yeah. there, but yet people don't know that. No. They forget, and, and not even forget. I don't think mm. people know that. And this book, 
Mm-hmm. Um, it really educates mm-hmm. us, and I totally agree with you, um, Colin, that we need that the more people who read it, the better. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think that we'll all be better off for it because yeah. it educates us all. We and almost we need it as a school textbook. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yes. For adults also. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think adults also, yeah. because we, we so easily forget yeah. the past, and especially now, but um, it really just takes you back and makes you realize that, oh, like, you know, we white government, like you said, corruption, it, it has no color. Um, but yeah. Sure. I was just thinking, Sinead, um, it would be worth, um, I was wondering if Youth Day was going to come up, because it's the 45th anniversary this year of um, the Soweto mm. uprisings. And that was um, 1976 when um, black people were being forced as a multitude of things, but it culminated in being forced to be taught in Afrikaans. Mm. And the youth um, uh, protested against that mm. and how the armed force of the apartheid government came against those children and shot and killed, I can't remember Victim. how many, oh, and then but the, the famous picture. photo of yeah, Hector Peterson. Peter. But, yeah. So that's the iconic photo that we all remember. But the point is that that children were murdered in our country mm-hmm. um, and it's the 45th anniversary and I feel quite passionately about remembering Youth, day, uh, youth Days. Um, I know it's called Youth Day and Youth Celebration and we look mm-hmm. at the youth and all that jazz, but I feel that we need to really remember the history of our country and that that's, that's what people lived through um yeah that is exactly how i felt speaking to my daughter was yesterday yeah. about youth day and what actually because it's you know i think i didn't even think about it before i was just excited for a public holiday yeah and, sure and yet so much yeah. happened on that yeah. day and i think it was last year the year before that i just went and i was just reading up yeah. reading more about it and it just broke my heart yeah you know and and i think that people of color are always painted in this you know that we violent, but where did that? that it was a like, it was a peaceful protest, yeah. and where did the violence come from? Are we forgetting? Yeah. You know, are we forgetting that the violence there? This was a peaceful protest, but it was the white government policemen that yeah. just started shooting. Yeah, and in the back, and it's not shot to, in the back as they ran yes, away. And it's not to bring this up to to condemn or to, but no. really to just create that awareness yeah. that you know. Um, Human beings lost their lives. Yeah. Human, Human lost beings their lives. lost their lives. Yeah. Yeah. And in yeah. a way that was inhumane. I mean, it yeah. was a peaceful protest. We've yeah. been fighting then. We're still fighting now. Um, and it was a just protest. There was a good reason for having yeah, it. Yes. Yes. Oh. And yet the, the outcome was mm. horrendous. So, sure. yeah, we need to remember. And, and I was thinking about the narrative of corruption. And another conversation that we're having at the moment is all around Eskom. And mm. I'm sure those of, who don't live in South Africa get to see that we have... Um, load shedding and and even that uh, let's not go down that road but the point is that that i wanted to make was that in apartheid eskim was designed to produce a certain amount of power 10% exactly 10 percent of the population so so mm. we now once again everything has been stretched and i'm not trying to let our government off the hook yes there is corruption but we do need to speak that speak that this the government was then uh, tasked with the job of providing what was just for white people was, now to everybody. It was serving the needs yeah. of a small yeah. percentage of the population yeah. in all areas. Yeah. And now it needs to serve the needs of yeah. 60 million. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and, One can and understand. It's, and the, it's being stretched. Yeah, so, completely. Yeah. And, and that, the same yeah. thing applies to, to university. I mean, there's so mm. many people who complain. My child's not getting in. But back, back then it was the majority of white people that, yeah. were, that were getting in. And now... 
everybody's allowed to go, white colored, black. And so, yes, the numbers are smaller, but yet there's still complaints. And the obstacles that um, children of color have to overcome yeah. to get to that point, yeah. majority. Yeah. Um, you know, they don't have, parents don't have homes where they can use as leverage for, for student loans. Um, so just the obstacles they have to, mm. to get over, like, um, it's still making it harder for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just want to come back to one other point about the, well, the police brutality mm. um, on the 16th of June. Um, when I was at UCT, that was when there were quite a few protests, mm. and the police arrived on campus one day with shambles mm. and plastic screens, and it was an exceptionally scary, scary day for me. Mm. And I realised a few years later that I was still holding... I was reacting to certain things out of fears from mm. that day. Mm. But when I think about it, you know, I experienced that once. Mm. There were other people who experienced it mm. on a regular mm. basis, frequently. So if I was traumatized mm. by one mm. day, you know, for the people of color to experience it day after day and mm. layers and layers mm. and layers of fear. Mm. Um, mm. So I think... We have no idea the damage. Yeah. Well, no, we do have an idea, but but we can't really imagine. I can't because I, I wasn't exposed to that on a regular basis. Mm. But the damage that we have done mm. to mm. our people, you know, mm. to people of our country, the damage we've done is mm. is really it's desperately sad. Um, mm. And I have a real heart for mental health, and mm. and so that again has mm. you know it's it's mm. caused mental health issues which which then cause the alcohol abuse mm. or cause the mm. crime mm. or cause, you know, so all of the mm. things that we are struggling with today, I believe are consequences sure. of sure. a source mm. that we, that we yeah. consciously created. Sure. Yeah. So was that one of your reflections? Cause I think that did come out in the, in the book a bit. Mm. Yeah. I, I just think it's, you know, for me, I won't say it's the, book only I think it's just a combination mm -hmm. of um, sitting having conversations reading the book self-reflection mm -hmm. um, you know so when you look at this you th you know think back about my own mm -hmm. circumstances and journey and route and, mm -hmm. and, and what's mm -hmm. happened mm -hmm. but then you know Sinead spoke about education as well and I think you know today even though and, and I'm, I'm I'm quite convinced that education today is still not equal mm. um, because the, the teachers who are teaching the children mm. of today, you know, come from apartheid mm. era, and so their foundation wasn't strong. Mm. Um, and maybe, you know, they're traveling significantly longer distances. Mm. I mean, I, I look at myself and I think how fortunate I am that mm. I don't have to travel for mm. an hour to get to work. Mm. So... Or I don't have to travel for an hour getting home. And mm -hmm. you think about parents who have got a long day of work and then still an hour's travel mm -hmm. home and and financially they're still struggling and so there's those pressures mm -hmm. and then they've still got to read with their children at mm -hmm. night or still got to do the homework. Um, and, and maybe they don't understand what the mm -hmm. children are studying. So I think that education today is still really hard for 
the majority of our country because mm. they don't have the support structure at home mm. to support mm. that education. Mm. Mm. So the teachers may be saying one thing, but they don't. The kids mm. don't have the support mm. structure. Mm. Yeah, and Colin, just what you said about you know parents. So I I never. My mom was a nurse. Um, besides my grandparents with it, but we never had. You don't have people reading to you like that's mm. like uncommon. Well, I don't know, um, Haley, if, if you had your parents reading to you when you were younger. Um, but I read to myself. <laughs> I got to. <laughs> but you, you don't have that. There is yeah. nobody sitting with yeah. you and doing your yeah. own work. Yeah. Like yeah. you are on your own. Yeah. You do what yeah. you need to do, and and that's it. But just coming back to the book, sure. where one of the the guys mentioned mm-hmm. that he um he was um he, he was at, he was admitted or to university. Yes, yes. Oh, I know. And, yeah, yes. and and he basically only realized once he was in university that the level of it that little he level of education that he had compared to his peers was miles Way apart better. and while his peers could go off and enjoy you know be living on this and and partying he needed to study yeah. he needed to study to make up for what he wasn't taught yeah. his foundation his foundation wasn't yeah, yeah. And, and i mean that's so odd that's that so you sad. you're always at the back end yeah. you're always, the back always on the back foot it's always like you're catching up yeah. and the, the injustices today yeah. which I'm loving this conversation with injustices today the long shadow of apartheid mm-hmm. forward which um, Charlene speaks about in the book and which we're chatting about but that it's the, the, they, inter, it's the intersection of the injustices mm-hmm. so if you think about exactly what you said Karen um, about the, um, the, the children at school but, but also in terms of load shedding so I'm not sure if our listeners know this um, but you know we live in Cape Town and we have a certain amount of load shedding which is very scheduled we are given a, a chart we know when our lights are going off okay that is when we live in the suburbs up close to the mountain the privileged wealthy suburbs if you just step a little bit out onto the Cape Flats that Shanae was talking about um, and into Kailicha that people are having their lights turned off without any warning for days. And so you you intersect those two things. How are you supposed to study? Yeah. Um, and, and also the conversation around COVID. So my children are at a government school and the government school has managed this year to get all the children back to school every day. Mm-hmm. But the same story is happening uh, in Kailicha and Langa and on the Cape Flats where children are still only going to school every That's three days yeah. or every two days. So there's a massive injustice, which is the long shadow of apartheid. Yeah, so that divide is growing yeah. or mm-hmm. continuing. Yeah, and continuing. And, and I mean, is it because these government schools that our kids are going to now is because they were the ex-model T yes. school, so they still... Well, it's mainly parent funded because yeah. it's your yeah. ones with your governing. Exactly. Yeah. And so, I mean, even there, there's just... Yeah. yeah. Well, can't... those schools are able to divide the classes up mm. into yeah. smaller groups because they've got more teachers. Yeah. So, that, so their resources are greater. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to touch on something that you mentioned um, about the mental health because I think oh, Charlene mentions yes, it in yes, one yes. of... And, it, we keep, and it's been said by a few of the mm. interviewees mm. where they said, you know, the, the feeling of inferiority and the, the fact that you're just surviving, the need to buy expensive things so you can mm. feel human because as yeah. a human you deserve nice things. Um, I think we, that's going to be something that we'll never realize because it can't be quantified. Mm. The psychological damage mm. and the trauma can never be quantified like, you know, possible... Um, lack of, of schooling or anything 
I think it's harder. And so it's often unnoticed mm. or um, not dealt with. Mm. Well, I also think that mental health still today has a stigma mm. and sort of get over it. Mm. But it's something which underlies um, and it impacts the way you behave. Mm. It impacts the way you respond. And in this book, there was a lady who spoke about feeling constantly under stress. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. So, and there was another area where it spoke about not trusting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and if you don't trust people, mm-hmm. it again impacts how you behave mm-hmm. and, and can lead mm-hmm. to insecurity. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I, I've always thought for also, if as a country, if we've denied vast swathes of our population, if we've denied them the right to have initiative, if we've mm-hmm. denied them the right to make their own decisions for their lives, you can't expect people overnight mm. to just pick that up because it's yes. something which, I think it's something which we teach our children. It's mm-hmm. not just in school. Mm-hmm. Um, as parents, we develop, it. We develop mm-hmm. confidence mm-hmm. in our children. We give them the right to ask questions. Mm-hmm. We give them the right to... I think you have to ask us as parents questions, not to challenge authority in an aggressive way, yeah. but to challenge yeah. in love. Yeah, and sure. and that's been denied. Yeah. You know, so many people have been told you will and you won't, and yeah. you are this and you will fit into this box, yeah. and, and you're not allowed to question. So if you remove a person's ability to take an initiative you re- you remove their dignity mm. you remove who they are mm. because they just have to comply mm. and if i remove who you are who are you yeah. and and that that must raise a whole bunch of questions mm. in terms of yeah who am i and am i capable and Mm. It's, so, like, mm. it's like having a child that you're constantly saying you're stupid, you're stupid, yeah, you're stupid, you. and then all of a sudden you decide, oh no, actually you're smart. And that child has been told mm. they're stupid, so they believe that. Yes. And so the day you tell them that they're smart, that switch not going, no, that switch not. is not going to happen. But, and I think the expectation was that you have opportunities now. Yeah. 1994, yeah. the doors were opened. You can apply to whatever schools you want to. You know, that's what they say. You can go to university. You can buy houses in whichever area you want to. It all sounded great. It was all great. Obviously, that is what we could do. But how can you? If you were in that space that you were put you financially, I mean, when it came to employment, to studying, I mean, there was... You're still stuck in the same place that you were. Mm. So how is it that all of a sudden, like the switch happened, mm. and now go, be free. Mm. And obviously the government at the time knew that was going to be the case, and there was no plan. Yeah, but that's just it. I mean, we come back to it. Apartheid was an intentional yeah. design, and so the unlearning has to be an intentional design. Yeah. And so we can't just get up and yeah. get on with it. So, so can yeah. I just ask Sinead something? So, um, we, so we're talking about... Um, which is actually called racial trauma. It is. Yes. It is something that Haley and I are looking at having a, a whole podcast on that, and there is st- st- work around that. But I, but um, Shanae, before we did the podcast, you spoke about a story that I would love you to share from the book, which was around identity and remember about the person who um, bought you. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I have. I mean, just growing up in the Cape, that you see it all the time. And, and then I think it was a black girl that spoke mm-hmm. about how she would buy, um, you know, clothes. And, and anyway, I always thought that um, in my own family, like 
you're not you're unemployed, but you're wearing the best shoes mm-hmm. and the best clothes and I would irritate me and I'm like, mm-hmm. how can you do that? Mm-hmm. I would much rather invest in my child's education mm-hmm. or you know, than buy them fancy shoes and, and clothes. And and then the lady was basically saying that gave her a sense of dignity. It's like mm-hmm. she knew that even if she used what she had, she wasn't gonna get into that school mm-hmm. on the other side of the line or it wasn't really gonna make a big difference and so the the best thing she could do for herself is make herself feel good and make herself feel like she had some worth and dignity and that was by looking good yeah. and so I, that really hit home for mm. me because yeah I was judging not yeah. knowing that just how it actually made mm. that person feel and and if I think back now to, to my family or you know to, to just the communities I know in in, in Mitchell Spain they had a whole story about um, kicks it was about how they wear the tackies and like you know Jordans and all these things and it was about like that is who we are mm. gives us and yes we know we're not going to have food for the rest of the month but that makes us feel good you mm. know and so I thought it totally changed my mindset and it actually like, it, it made me feel a bit emotional mm. because for all this time yeah. I've been judging not realizing that you know that is the one thing they have yeah and they've Obviously, when I say they, I wouldn't say I can't say we because I don't do that. So I'm saying, you know, mm. in the in the broader scheme of things, it's it gives them, and if if that's what makes them feel okay, yeah. then. But I think it goes beyond because that was the aha moment for me as yeah, well. Me so I had very much the same perception. But when you see that it's attached to mm. being feeling your humanity. Yeah. It has like a whole yeah. different yeah, layer of, oh, yeah. yeah, so it really changed. And then you're like, okay, just be. Until yeah. we can get to that place where we can yeah. actually change things yeah. for that person. Yeah, exactly. Then we need to be quiet yeah. and not judge. And I think it's so important. Like, that's what I felt. Yeah. I felt so convicted. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so I, I, and that was awesome. Just seeing, I think this yeah. book helps yeah. you to see things differently um, and in a good way. Because I think we all judge the next person and we all look at people i mean there's kids begging on the street or these people on the street and there's all these things and we judge but we don't really look deep enough or we don't go deep enough to understand like you know something happened along the way mm. that resulted in this and and we all need to go back mm. we can't move on until we go back mm. not to live in the past but to use the past mm. to help us make you know make mm. make change yeah there was a clause in the book um, where one of the people who was interviewed was talking about it's not a black thing, it's not a white thing, it's an education thing. Um, and I think that, mm. that can be applied to so many different aspects. Um, the lady said, um, why can't, rather than saying I'm a a white bitch, can't you just say I'm a bad driver? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, yeah. that, and that's exactly yeah. it. Why, criti- why use their mm. colour as yes. part of the mm. problem yeah. rather talk about the real problem? Yeah. So yeah. you're a bad driver, you're not yeah. a white bad yeah. driver yeah. or a white bitch. Mm. Um, but, and, and that's part of the education and you can talk about the education in the real education at school but you can also bring the education thing back to your example, Sinead, with, you know, buying nice goods, it's, you know, it's the short term versus the long term. Mm. And so the short term is I need to feel like mm. I'm valuable and I am valuable and I need to find some way to recognize that. But on the other side, 
if there was education mm. and recognizing that there's a long-term mm. benefits in sacrificing something mm. now but mm. i mean when you've sacrificed so much then who yeah. am i to mm. judge so mm. it is yeah. so complicated but it's when you're in survival mode yeah. you're not actually thinking yeah. long term. no you can't no you, you can't. can't i don't yeah. think your brain yeah. no you can't yeah. i agree yeah. and um, it's back to the trauma yeah. and what what fills that hole in us yeah. when we've been traumatized by something yeah. and apartheid was a trauma yeah. and has continued to be as yeah. we've been talking about so we need to wrap up <laughs> and we always like ending it on a um a hopeful note for want of a better word <laughs> so if i if if we asked you ladies to dream a bit um and maybe to i want to say create because i do believe mm. it's going to take all of us to create the the mm. future south africa or the ideal south africa that we see like what would it look like Mm. And how would you get there? This is dreaming, hey? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my hope for this country is to really to have equality. Mm-hmm. It's a true sense. We say that, you know, there's equal opportunity mm-hmm. and it's equal. But where the privileged, and I'm just going to be the privileged, will be open to sharing mm-hmm. their wealth mm-hmm. um, with the previous, previously disadvantaged. And I'm not saying just give your money away. Mm-hmm. But invest in the education of others mm. it's not just the government's responsibility mm. the government didn't just benefit in apartheid mm. people families mm. benefited from mm. it and other families with disadvantage because of it mm. and so i think it's all about responsibility to to give and i think to give i mean i always think you know some people say oh but i can't i, I can't because my children like we're always looking out for our children that's natural we want the best for our children. Um, I want the best for my children. But does it mean that I can't sacrifice? Because at the end of the day, it's giving from your wealth, but then it's also sacrifice. Mm. And I, I would like to bring it back now to my Christian views that Jesus died and that was a sacrifice. And this is how I look at it. And so in the same way that he sacrificed, I need to live a sacrificial life. He's died for everything so that I can have a great life. But so if he sacrificed for me, if I love my neighbor, if I love, then I should be willing to sacrifice as well. And I think that if we can take it back to that, then there shouldn't be, you know, even in the church, and I probably shouldn't go down that way, but there shouldn't be people who are suffering mm. or in poverty mm. if we in the church mm. um, should be living sacrificial lives and helping one another. So I think, um, but taking it out, to the, to the world, our country, not the world, our country, it is really to have, it, to have open hands and be mm. willing to, to share, to see the other. Mm. And um, yeah, so, and then also, for, in order for that to happen, I think we need more people and more mm. white people to embark on this journey of mm. truth, because this is truth. And I mean, I've learned so much, things that I never knew, about my own race, mm. you know, where I was critical. About my, like, you know, we shouldn't even talk about race. One day I long for that day where we don't speak about race. We just speak about my people, mm-hmm. <laughs> all of us. But where we are, where white people are open to the truth and to doing this work. Because mm. I'm sure Karen and Karen, Karen. Karen and Karen, <laughs> that, that, I mean, it's, mm. it helps to build the relationship and to preach the divide. And I think that. It, and I, I believe that if we do the work, it will lead to more meaningful relationships, mm-hmm. deep and meaningful relationships, mm-hmm. where we see that we, we, don't, we, have, we, have, we actually have a lot in common. Mm-hmm. 
that the color of our skin actually means nothing. Mm. Um, and so I think that for me is, is very important. Um, so the restitution part, and it may not just be giving money. Mm. There's skills mm. that people exactly. have. You can yeah. give exactly. your time. Yeah. So it's these, these ways and means that we can give back. I mean, and, and I, I'm not just leaving that to the I, I feel like I have a responsibility to give mm. back to my community. But if we take it back to apartheid, mm. there is a big responsibility to give back. And by doing that, we're equipping our, the people of this country. And then we all rise up. Mm. When one wins, we all win. Mm. And I think that is so important mm. that we see that. Mm. That we don't look through this narrow, like, mm. I'm just going to do whatever I need to do for me. Our country is, is suffering. Our mm. people, our children mm. are suffering. And that suffering at the end of the day is going to, you know, for now, maybe black and colored people. But at the end of the day... I believe all of us are going mm. to suffer if we don't come to the realization that we need to work together mm. and we need to do something to help each other mm. so to have more community um and then yeah um yeah that's where i'll stop i just that that's my open dream in, in terms of restitution it's giving back all of us but there's responsibility on white people for for that mm. Three, what three centuries of wealth? Longer than three centuries. Yeah. We take it from colonialism. Yeah, yeah. yeah? So there's, there's all of that, and but without doing this work, I don't think we'll get there because we people are not we're not seeing mm. yet. So we need to see the mm. truth. We need to build the relationships mm. um, so that we can really feel for each other. Mm. Sure. Um, I think to put it in terms of maybe business speak or, or working speak is that a team is only as strong as its weakest link. Mm -hmm. And so as a country, we're only as strong as, as our weakest people or as our and, mm -hmm. and weak is the wrong phrase, but mm -hmm. if we've got people who are struggling, sure. it, it's going to hold the entire country back. Mm -hmm. Um, I I love my country. Um, I love the people of this country, and we collectively need to find a way to move forward. Mm. And um, I think it's going to be some creativity. Mm. I agree with what Shanae says that it cannot, well, it can't only be money because if mm. you give money, you, you're not actually giving dignity. Mm. So there needs to be some wealth reorganisation. There's no doubt about it. But you know, time. Mm is is important and mm. it, we need to mm. give time across the color lines mm. um i would like to see a country and i would like to be part of a country and i would like my children to be part of a country where where if somebody is described by the color of their skin it's just it it doesn't it doesn't add meaning mm. it's more just an adjective mm. um I would like to see a country where we have relationships across color lines, religion lines, mm. uh, you know, all all of those lines, and that each culture is still allowed to retain its identity. Mm. I'm not saying that we all have to merge into the mm. same identity. I don't want us to dilute that because mm. I think that creates richness mm. in us. So I think we should be allowed to retain our identities but there needs to be a common respect across mm. those identity lines. And I think it's going to be hard. To, we're going to have to be creative. Mm. And I don't think we can leave it up to the political parties. No, no. That's just not going to happen. No, no. Um, 
So, yeah, uh, that's, that's my hope. Um, so, ladies, thank you, Sinead. Thank you, Corin. Um, yeah, because I know we're taking time out of your day. And for the listeners, if you're hearing some hard truths, that is the purpose of the meeting room, to have these hard discussions in a safe space so that we can do better. Thanks, Thanks. Sinead. Thank Thanks, you, ladies. Thank Bye. You. Thank you. How was that?